If you would turn with me this morning to the book of Malachi, chapter 1, to begin with, the last book of the Old Testament, right before the book of Matthew, Malachi, chapter 1. Let me say in the beginning that this is not a, another message on the doctrine of election. This is a message on Christ who is the elect of God. That's very important to understand. The Lord Jesus Christ is God's elect. We're elect. We are chosen in Him. This unbelieving world charges the God of the Bible the only true God, with being unfair. You've heard it, so have I. When you tell men and women and sinners that the God of the Bible has mercy on whom He'll have mercy, saves whom He wills, passes by others, simply because He chooses to. And He has the right to as God. They will boldly say that that's unfair. God's unfair. You know, both the Old Testament and the New Testament declare that for no reason outside of Himself, His own omnipotent choice, God loved Jacob and hated Esau. And people think that's unfair. Look at verse 2 here in Malachi chapter 1. God addressing Israel whom He had chosen to be His special and peculiar people. He said, I have loved you. Yet, you say, wherein hast thou loved us? With objection and ingratitude, they question the love of God here by saying, when and how did you love us? What is your reason for lo- reason for loving us? Why your love, you love us only as the children of Abraham. You love us only because you loved Abraham. What Israel is saying here is, you your love to us is not free. You love us as a nation because you promised favor to Abraham's seed, and that's all we are to you—just the seed of Abraham. So the real problem here is that's seen in Israel of old is that they were not thankful or appreciative of God's love to them. So God responds with His own question. He says, Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I love Jacob. Verse 3, And I hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Now Jacob and Esau, as you know, were brothers. They were twins. They had the same mother and had the same father. They equally descended from Abraham. So if one was loved for the sake of Abraham, as suggested, the other should have had an equal claim to the same thing. Esau was the firstborn. Esau should have had the advantage of the birthright and the blessing, but as you know, he sold it for a bowl of soup. 
but for no reason outside of God's own sovereign will and purpose, God loved Jacob and he hated Esau. Was it because God looked ahead in time to see who would be the better man? I had a, a preacher tell me that one time, not that long ago really. Was it because God looked ahead to the future to see who would believe and trust in Christ? No, that can't be. Because God determined and purposed how all things would come to pass. God wrote a story in eternity past and He ordained how it would be from the first to the last. Before Jacob and Esau were born, the Scripture tells us, before they had done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election, according to God's choosing, might stand. Before they were ever born, and what afterwards was said of them was in the heart of God towards them, it shows beyond a shadow of doubt that the love of God to His people, it's free, it's sovereign, it's distinguishing and purposed by Him. Before they were born, God said, I love Jacob and hate Esau. Before either one of them, again, to be redundant, before either one of them had done any good, and before either one of them had done any evil, that the will and the purpose of God, according to God's choosing, God's election, might stand and prove itself to be so. Now what's the proof of God's election of grace? That salvation is not a works. Salvation's of Him that calleth. Before Jacob or Esau ever did any good work, work, before they did any evil or bad, well, before they were ever born, before they did any work at all, God loved one and hated the other. So does that make God unfair? Before you answer, let me ask you another question. Do you want God to treat you fairly? If God treated us fairly, we'd all go to hell. We're already seeing and hearing a great deal about the upcoming election next year. What is an, what is an election? Well, it's a formal and organized choice of a person to an office or a particular position. To elect someone means to choose. It means to appoint. It means to designate, to single out. That's what we do when we vote in an election. We cast our vote for a person to fulfill an office or a position and we vote and choose the person that we like or, or feel who would be best suited for that office and position. But so does everyone else that votes. And because of that, many times our choice comes up short and the, the votes and the person we choose is not chosen. And we may not like the results. We may think that the election was unfair. But that's the process. That's the law. That's the way it is.
However, in the election of God, there's only one vote cast. Just one. And it's cast either for us or against us, and it's God that cast it. And it doesn't matter if we think it's fair or not. <laughs> because the one who chooses has the right to do so as the sovereign ruler and only potentate. He has the right to do what He will with His own. And the Scripture tells us, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all they that dwell therein. He owns it all. It all belongs to Him and everything and everyone in it. David said, The heavens are thine, the earth also is thine. As for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. The north and the south thou hast created them. Thou hast a mighty arm, strong is thy hand, and high is thy right hand. And justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. Psalm 89. And in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 9, you know this passage very well, we also read, as it is written, and that's referring to the verse that we just read in Malachi, that we just read, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And again, the Apostle Paul, in anticipation to God being called and judged unfair, he writes, what shall we say then? He tells us what you're going to say. It's what most people do say. Is there unrighteousness with God? What does that mean? It means, is God unfair? Is He? Is God unfair? Paul said, God forbid, in no way, shape, or form. God is right in all that He does. For He saith to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. Sounds to me like salvations of the Lord. And what's the conclusion of God's electing grace? If God has mercy and compassion on whom He will, what does that tell us? He tells us, so then, this is the result of God having mercy on whom He will and compassion on whom He will. And this is the result of God hardening whom He will. So then, it's not of Him that willeth, nor of Him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. It's the same in the Old Testament and New. It's the way it's always been from the beginning of this book to the end of it. God does the choosing. God does the saving. <laughs> salvation, the election of God, proves that salvation does not come by the work of man, but by the grace of God and His choosing. We don't preach election. Election's not the gospel. We preach Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the elect of God and we are electing Him. 
I'll title this message, Jesus Christ, God's Elect. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, God Almighty through the prophet Isaiah wrote, Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. Who's that talking about? That's talking about Christ. That's talking about His beloved Son. God finds no delight, no satisfaction, no justice, no love, no mercy, no grace, no forgiveness, except in one place, in His elect, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me remind you again of the familiar words that the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1. Matter of fact, turn there with me. I want you to see him. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. You can quote this. I know you can. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at this. Who hath blessed us, His people, His elect, His chosen, the child of God, blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Where? In heavenly places. Where in heavenly places? In Christ. We have all spiritual blessings in Christ. Nowhere else. Verse 4, according as He hath chosen us, where? In Him. Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Where is the child of God chosen? In Him. In Christ. When was the child of God chosen? Before the foundation of the world. Before we were ever born. Before we ever did anything good or bad. Verse 5, having predestinated us, predetermining us unto the adoption of children. How? By Jesus Christ to Himself. According to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, not our works, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. That's Christ. Why is the child of God chosen? Because it pleased God. By the good pleasure of His own will and to the praise and the glory of His grace. What did God do in this election? He made us accepted in Christ the Beloved. How's the child of God saved? Through the redemption in, by, and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Election is a, is a beautiful doctrine for that reason only. Because it's in Christ that He chose us. Verse 7, in whom? <laughs> in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed in Himself. Many have often asked, why preach on election? 
They say the doctrine of election is profound, it's deep, it's controversial. Well, it's no doubt profound. And it's no doubt deep. But it's anything but controversial. If you understand that it's in Christ that we are elected, any sinner that does not trust in the Lord Jesus Christ deserves the eternal damnation and judgment of hell. Other words, otherwise, it's not fair that any other should see life. Right? Mercy's not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. If you want to call that unfair, go ahead. It's unfair for one that hates Christ to... Or let me ask that in a way of a question. Is it unfair for one that hates Christ to suffer eternally? Now I do want to say that I understand that the doctrine of election is misused and abused. But if you do away with all the things that men abuse, there wouldn't be anything left. You know, uh, not, and not trying to get political, but many in our country want to do away with guns. It's not guns that kill. It's the people that use them. If we did away with everything that's misused and abused, there'd be no rope. Because there are those who hang themselves with rope. Well, we got to do away with rope. There'd be no knives because men cut themselves and others with knives. No water. Men drown themselves in water. God do away water. No medicine because men abuse drugs and are addicted to medicine. So if we destroyed everything that was misused, well, there wouldn't be none left because we misuse and abuse everything. Men say that the doctrine of election gives sinners an excuse to sin. Listen, from since sin came into the world, men and women both have always come up with excuses for their sin. The election of God leaves us without excuse. Now think about that. We're redeemed for one reason only. Christ put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Adam blamed his sin on Eve. Eve blamed her sin on the serpent. And both of them, they were sad and pathetic excuses. What about Aaron, Moses' brother? He blamed his sin on the fire. You remember that? That's one of the most ridiculous and pathetic excuses in all the Bible. Aaron told Moses, he said, and I said unto them, He's giving an account to Moses about them building the golden calf. And he said, I said unto them, whosoever hath any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it to me. Well, what did you do with it, Aaron? I cast it into the fire and there came out this calf. It's, it's, it's funny, it's comical, but you know, I tell you, we've made some just as bad excuses for our sin, if not worse. I wonder sometimes if we truly hear how ridiculous our excuses for sin really are. I tell you, this is a this is a, a sad excuse for sin. Well, I'm just a sinner. That's what sinners do. That's a sad excuse. We certainly can't blame God's election of grace as an excuse for us to sin. 
I had someone say, can we ask me one time, can you preach election too much? Absolutely. We certainly can. Because election is not salvation. Election is unto salvation. Brother Henry once said in a message that the prettiest face in the world would become ugly if you enlarge the nose or enlarge the mouth or enlarge the ears. Take a, a beautiful woman and make her ears this big. She wouldn't be pretty very long, would she? He said that it's called proportionate beauty. We must preach every truth in the Scriptures in fair proportion. And I know many Calvinists today that trust in election and not in Christ. I remember when I first heard the Gospel, all I talked about was election and predestination. I fell in love with the doctrines. Not in the Lord Jesus. But it's when I begin to hear a preacher that stood right here in this pulpit faithfully proclaim Christ over and over. It's about Christ. What Christ done for sinners. Where Christ is now. Why He's there. Oh my, I began to fall in love with Christ. I wasn't looking to election to be saved. I wasn't looking to God's predestinating power to be saved. I was looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I remind you again that we are elect in Christ. There's no election of God apart from the Lord Jesus. Now in the time we have remaining, I want you to look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. If you turn there, I won't turn you to any others, I, I don't believe. And I'll tell you right up front, I borrowed my outline from Brother Henry, who seemed to have borrowed it from Mr. Spurgeon because I read his message on this uh, text too. And it just reminded me again that there's nothing that's original with us. Um, all spiritual truth can be traced back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Mr. Spurgeon got some of it from, from Gill and Matthew Henry and, and they got it from somebody and they got it from Apostle Paul. And, and Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, got it from the Lord Jesus. We better not preach anything original. We're not preaching the truth if we do. Now, here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, we read, Knowing, knowing, brethren beloved, this is speaking to the beloved of God, those who profess to know, trust, and love Christ, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. So, first, we see the cause of election is found in God. This is the election of God. This is not the election of, of sinners. This is not the sinner's choice. This is God's choice. This is God's election. It's not in man. Salvation begins with God. This is His election. Salvation was purposed by God. Salvation is ours because God was pleased to give it to us. God loved us when we were dead in trespasses and sin. 
how how are we going to elect ourselves? How are we going to do anything when we're dead? The necessity of election is not found in is is found in man. And what I mean by that? Why is election necessary? Our Lord said, "You will not come to me that you might have life." He said, "You cannot come to me." No man can come to me unless the Father which hath sent me draw him. The Lord Jesus said, How often would I have gathered you unto myself as a hen doth gathereth her brood, and you would not. You see, the necessity of election is found in our inability. If God hadn't elected some, none would be saved. Scripture says He came into His own and His own did what? Received Him not. I received and accepted Jesus as my personal Savior. He came into His own and His own received Him not. The Scripture says this is the condemnation. Men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. God's got to intervene. God's got to do the choosing. We didn't choose Him. He chose us. We don't love Him because we love Him because He first loved us. God's Word tells us the natural mind is enmity, hostile, hostile toward God. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. Paul wrote the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish. It was foolishness to me once and to you too. To God made it where it wasn't foolishness anymore. It's the means He uses to save sinners. The Lord Jesus said, You didn't choose me. I chose you. You didn't love me first. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because He first loved me. John said we love Him because He first loved us. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. You know, you know who we love? We love ourselves. We love our sin. By nature we do. It's God who makes us to differ. He makes us willing in the day of His power. That's why election is necessary. This is the reason God must choose. And He chooses us in Christ. And His election is sovereign. It's free. It's irreversible. The gifts and calling of God are without change. Election is effectual. Election is personal. This is so important. Putting election before salvation is like that old saying that my mom used to say a lot. Well, you're putting the cart before the horse. Uh, have you ever seen a horse push a cart? No, the cart of the wagon is behind the horse and it's pulled. When we pray, we, we don't begin with amen, do we? If I got up here to pray and I said, amen. You don't teach a child math by beginning with algebra or trigonometry. Well, I took algebra, I think, in the 10th grade and I didn't make it. Uh, you don't start with trigonometry. You start with the number one. And then you move on to two. Then you move on to three. And pretty soon you're counting to ten. And then you start, and pretty soon it's a hundred. But you don't start with algebra. 
It's the same with the election of God in Christ. You start with repentance towards God. You start with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think the publican in the temple, the one who stood afar off and beat upon his chair wouldn't look up, do you think that he knew anything about election? He was a publican. He knew two things. He knew that he was a great sinner and he knew that he had sinned against God and he knew that God was the only one who could grant him mercy and forgiveness. That's why he's in the temple. That's why he's praying, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. See, you've got to understand mercy before you can understand election. The Bible does not say, Ho, everyone that is elect, come ye to the waters. It says, Come everyone that is a thirst. Are you thirsty? God's Word does not say, Come unto me all ye that are elect, and I'll give you rest. He says, Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden over your sin and your guilt. That's where every sinner's got to start. The Bible does not say, whosoever is elect and calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It simply says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. They only find out later, after they call upon the name of the Lord, that they were the elect. Only the elect call upon His name, but they don't know that. I heard people say things like, well, if you believe in election, why don't you only preach to the elect? I don't know who the elect are. Mr. Spurgeon said, stick a red label on them all and that's who I'll preach to. But until you can do that, we're commanded to preach the Gospel to every creature. The elect will hear and believe and come to Christ. Not my business who the elect are. Election doesn't hold anyone back from coming to Christ either. It enables men and women to come to Christ. Election is not the sinner's enemy. It's our friend. Election doesn't deliver us. It's Christ that delivers us. Election doesn't excuse our responsibility to believe on Christ nor to walk in disobedience to the Word of God. It's not our... Responsibility to understand election is our responsibility to believe on Christ. Believing on Christ proves our election. It makes our calling and election sure. The Scriptures don't declare He that is elect hath eternal life. The Scriptures declare He that hath the Son hath life. And He that hath not the Son hath not life. If you have the Son, then you're the elect of God. Salvation's having Christ, not being elect. God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. We're sanctified through the Spirit and belief of the truth. You don't learn the doctrines of grace and then come to Christ. You don't become a Calvinist before you become a Christian. Many have and they didn't persevere to the end. They never did belong to Christ. 
They fell in love with the doctrine and not the Son of God. The elect of God persevere unto the end because God loves His elect who are in the world and He loves them unto the end. And the doctrines of grace are found in Christ. Christ is not found in the doctrines of grace. I had a man tell me one time that he believed in predestination. That won't save you. Believing in predestination won't save you. There are a lot of Calvinists in hell. Believing in Christ is salvation. No man knoweth the Father except the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. You know, a man cannot learn the decrees and the counsel of God until he learns Christ. You can't learn the counsel of God until you come to the Christ of God. And a dead man or woman can't learn. One dead can't receive a divine revelation from God. God's got to first give them life. Who do He give life to? Those He chose before the foundation of the world, but wasn't by any work that they did. Our text says that the apostle knew the election of these people. He knew they were elect. How did he know it? How did he know that they were elect? Well, the way that Paul knew their election is the way that we can know ours. Verse 5 tells us how. For our gospel came not unto you in word only. People say, I heard the word. I believe the word. I love the word. I was saved by hearing the word. True. That's true. You have to hear the word to be saved. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Preaching is preaching the Word of God. But often the words of many preachers, not true preachers, are mixed with enticing words of man's wisdom. They won't save. Words won't save. Sometimes they're just intellectual words. Sometimes they're argumentative words. Sometimes they're debatable words. Men like to argue. Men like to debate. Just words. But Paul distinguishes the hearing of the believer by saying, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but look at it, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. You heard the gospel by the power of the Holy Ghost, if you heard it. You heard the gospel, Paul said, in much assurance. You, you knew it was so. And that's because it was accompanied by the power of God. The gospel came to you in power. Life-changing. Life-changing thoughts. Life-changing attitude. Life-changing power. That's the way the elect of God hear the gospel. God's elect hear the gospel in power. That word power in the Greek means is the word dunamis. You know what I mean? Dynamite. Dynamite. Same word we get our English word dynamite from. The elect of God hear the gospel in power. Power that convinces them of their sin. Power to, to give them life. Power to break their hearts. Power to crush their rebellion. Power to reveal Christ to them. That takes power. It takes the power of God. 
the dynamite of God. The Gospel's preached to all who will hear, but it only comes in power to some. Without the power of God accompanying our preaching, listen, nobody would be saved. That's just true. Somebody said, well, he's a good preacher. I got saved under his ministry. Well, there was a preacher of old named Roland Hill. You've probably heard the story. And he met a man on the street, and the man was intoxicated. And he said, Mr. Hill, he said, I'm one of your converts. And Mr. Hill said, yes, I can see that you're one of mine. If you were one of God's converts, you wouldn't be in the state that you're in now. There's a lot of truth in that. Our converts aren't worth much. Well, they're not worth anything. If they were converted by man, then man can... They can be unconverted by men. True conversions by the work of power of the Holy Spirit of God. And what is a result of hearing in power and insurance? Verse 6, And you became followers. Followers us and followers of the Lord. How do I know I'm elect of God? I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow Him. I'm going to follow the Lord. That's what our Lord said. He said, my sheep, referring to His elect, hear my voice, but that ain't all they do. They hear my voice, my word, and they follow Me. Having received the word of much affliction, which was instigated by the unbelieving Jews, with joy of the Holy Ghost, uh, that's the power of God. That joy that only God, the Holy Spirit, can give in power. We came into the house of the Lord with joy and thanksgiving, making a joyful noise. And it took the power of God to do it. You know, many come into their place of worship sad and downtrodden and, and solemnity or solemnly. Is coming to worship your Savior a slavish attendance? Is it something that you detest? Something that makes you sad? Do you come because you know that it's disrespectful you stay away? There's a lot of people that go to church because they know that it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. Well, how different... It, it is with our grandchildren when they come into our house during the holidays. They're delighted to be there. And they come running with anticipation of receiving the gifts that you have for them. How much more should we come in joy into our Heavenly Father's presence? Well, He's given us the gift of life, the gift of forgiveness. The gift of mercy and grace. And there may be some of you here this morning thinking, well, I want to know whether I am one of the elect. I'm not certain that God's words come to me in power. I can't say that I've received His word with much assurance. I, I cannot with certainty say that I'm a follower of Christ. I cannot say that I've received God's word with joy. Leave that question alone. Ponder this one. Dost thou believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? 
Will you trust Him to save your soul? Faith and trust in Christ through His precious blood will put away every sin. Not election. The blood of Christ. This does not put you simply in a savable condition. It doesn't simply make salvation possible. It makes salvation certain. And you can know, brethren beloved, your election of God. You can. I just, I mean, sometimes I doubt, and when I do, it's because I'm looking within and not looking to Christ. But when I look to Christ, there's no doubt that I'm saved. Because He did for me what I couldn't do. He did for God what I couldn't do. Hell, may God be pleased to make it so for His glory our good and for Christ's sake.